Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. We're going to be going to John 12, verse 12 to 15. I'll give you a couple seconds if you've got your Bible here today to to open up to that. Whenever you get there, say, I'm there. Hallelujah. That was all the people who are are reading off the screen. (laughs) I still hear some pages turning. All right, let's read John 12, verse 12 to 15 together. The next day... The large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's say that one more time. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's coat. The title of my message today is A Donkey? A Donkey. Do me a favor and just look at your neighbor and say, A Donkey? A Donkey. Let's pray. Humble King, you are the one that we adore. Lord, we just fix our gaze on you right now. Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your life. We thank you for coming. We thank you for humbling yourself, for laying down your divinity to walk among us, to acquaint yourself with us to your ultimate purpose of being the Lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world. Jesus, would you just prepare our hearts for this week as we remember the sacrifice that you did made We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. It's about this time every single year that I don't know what it is, but I feel like the weight of the presence of God gets a little bit heavier. I feel like, you know, even in worship and throughout the week, I've just been like, as I was studying, as I was like, whoa, Jesus, like, this is heavy. And I know it's your presence reminding me of what you've done. And I think it's a gift to the body of Christ that we have weeks like this that really help reorient our hearts. Because it's, you know, we as humans have hearts that are prone to wander. Does that make sense? Like it's just our hearts are prone to wander throughout the year. Our hearts are prone to through just the everyday circumstances of life, get just a little bit off. And it's like our mindsets 
begin to forget what Jesus did. And so weeks like this are, are, are really special because it's like the Lord gives us the great grace to remember. The great grace to be able to recollect, to be able to think about, and to be able to, to, be able to you know, put on the weight of what Jesus did. And so today's passage, we, re- we read about the moment that Jesus processes into Jerusalem with a welcome that is really reserved for conquering kings. But I want to back up for a moment like I like to do often and set the scene for us, for the atmosphere that Jesus was processing into, okay? And I also want to, like, process a little bit. Because there's a few things within the context of this scripture that confound me, that don't make sense. Like, why, Jesus? Why did you do that? And so to do this, I'm going to call upon the account of John the Beloved in chapters 11 and 12 of his, um, of his gospel. For the purpose of time, I'm just going to summarize for us, Okay. So Jesus has been traveling around ministering, performing miracles, and raising up an army of disciples in Judea and the surrounding areas for about three years, okay? And throughout this time, his power and his influence within the Jewish community was rapidly growing. More and more people were recognizing that this man is Messiah. This man is the one whom we have been waiting for. But even as his influence was growing, we also know by reading through the Gospels that tension between Jesus and the religious elites was simultaneously growing. His power and his influence posed a threat to them, and they didn't like it. But to this point, their anger uh, had only led to things like them driving him out of the cities uh, that he was ministering in, attempting to stone him, and, and, and doing their best to, to discredit him and his message. Amen? But in chapter 11, we read the story of Jesus coming into the village of Bethany. Now, for the purpose of the story, I want to let you know that the village of Bethany was about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And we know that Jerusalem is where all the stuff happened. It's where all of the Jews would gather at the time of feast, etc., right? So Bethany was two miles outside of Jerusalem. So Jesus comes to, to Bethany where his good friend Lazarus has been ill. Now Jesus knew that Lazarus was ill, right? But Lazarus dies. He passes away. So when Jesus arrives in the village, the people of the village and all those who had gathered there are in mourning, right? None more so than Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. Are you tracking with me? So Jesus enters this village and he sees the people mourning and he sees Martha come to him and say, Jesus, why didn't you come earlier? And at this point, Jesus says, he's like, oh, cool, cool. I'm going to keep my composure. Hey, I, was, I have business to take care of. And then Mary comes. 
And it's at that point when Mary asks him, Jesus, why didn't you come earlier? If you were here, he would have lived. And Jesus begins to cry. Jesus begins to weep in that moment. And so Jesus moved by, by their sorrow and by their grief, performs a miracle. He raises Lazarus from the dead. Now let's stop right there for a moment. Stop right there. Because I think it's important to talk about the fact that we have a Savior who is acquainted with our grief and with our pain. Aren't you grateful that you have a Savior who is acquainted with the pain and with the grief that you go through on a daily basis? And that he doesn't just bypass the way that you're feeling, but he sympathizes with us. Aren't you grateful? And as I was preparing this week, I felt like that was a word for somebody in the room today that Jesus knows your pain. Jesus knows your sorrow. And he's with you through it all. This is our humble king. So with the village of Bethany being just two miles or so away from Jerusalem, word about the man who raised, who was raised from the dead by Jesus begins to spread like wild, wildfire, much to the disappointment and the anger of the chief priests and the Pharisees. Okay? So what is their response? John 11 Verse 53 tells us that from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Operation Kill Jesus has been initiated. Now Jesus, understanding the reality and the gravity of the threat and the intention of the Jewish elite, does something that scripture tells us. It says that Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, and that he retreated to a town called Ephraim near the wilderness. Now, we got to be clear here. It's important that we're clear here that Jesus did not leave because he was afraid. It was not fear that drove our Savior into the wilderness. Are we clear on that? It was timing. It was timing. Because the fact of the matter is Jesus wasn't afraid to have his life taken from him. He wasn't afraid of them taking his life. In fact, we know that Jesus didn't have his life taken from him. He gave it. He gave his life for us. But this simply was just not the moment for him to give it. And so Jesus withdraws. Fast forward some days or weeks Jews from everywhere, from everywhere, begin journeying into Jerusalem for the biggest celebration of the calendar year, the Passover. And in the middle of all of the hustle and in the middle of all of the bustle, there's one question that is preoccupying every single conversation in the city. Will Jesus show up? Will Jesus Show up. Now, this is the atmosphere that our king is welcomed into, family. I think it's easy for us to just, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and to shout about it, right? 
But we also have to remember what Jesus was walking into in this moment. So six days before the Passover, Jesus shows back up to the, to the village of Bethany, which is how many miles from Jerusalem? Two miles. I'll give you one more chance. It's how many miles from Jerusalem? It's two miles away from Jerusalem. So he comes to pay another visit to his friends, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And as they're having dinner, you know, just joy, enjoying one another's fellowship, word gets out among the people that Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. Jesus is coming. He's coming. I can just see it now. I can see the people going from house to house. Hey, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. So what do the people do? So he arrives in the city and the city is, is, is buzzing because their Messiah is getting ready to, to, to make his way into the city. And in a scene that is fit for a conquering king, the people begin to lay down their cloaks. And they begin to wave their branches and declare his kingship. This is the coronation of Jesus. All of these gestures were symbolic. They were symbolic of great honor and respect reserved for royalty and affirmation of the purpose he was sent here to the earth to fulfill. The waving of the palm branches was actually a symbol of victory and triumph in Jewish culture. But it's important, again, for us to Get into the minds of the Jews who were there that day at Jesus' triumphal entry, okay? Go with me here. These Jews who were at the triumphal entry had grown up knowing nothing but oppression. They had been told since their infancy that one day a Messiah would come and save them. So the expectation was that this Messiah would come as a powerful military leader. And this powerful military leader would lead them in defeat of the Romans and restore Jewish sovereignty. Are you, are you tracking with me? So the motive for their celebration of Jesus on this day was convoluted with the preconceived notion that he would be the leader of the revolution. That's their mindset as they're waving flags and crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. They think he's getting ready to lead a military operation. And then here comes Jesus riding on a donkey. A donkey? A donkey. Now, I got, I got some questions, okay? I got some questions for this moment. On the day of his coronation, the ceremony of crowning a sovereign, why would Jesus choose to ride on a donkey? Now, I know, I know, I know, I know. The answer seems simple. Why? Because we know the Bible. We get to read the other side of it. But think about the Jews who are there that day. This is his coronation. This is the coronation of a king. This is his triumphant entry, the very assignment of this name to this moment. It's supposed to indicate great pomp and circumstance and showmanship. 
come on, Jesus, this is your big moment. This is the moment for you to stunt. Uh, Jesus, this is the moment for you to be bougie like every other conquering king on earth. But you choose to ride in on a donkey. A donkey? A donkey. I mean, we couldn't get a thoroughbred or something. I mean, we, we couldn't get a stallion. We couldn't get a stallion who was raised literally from its birth for this one moment to carry in the king of the universe. No, we get a donkey. A donkey? A donkey. I mean, come on, just give us something that, I mean, that would make a statement that I'm Jesus, I'm king, and I'm here. I mean, come on, the queen and the, the king of England, they ride in on a chariot that's pulled by eight horses. The pope is carried on the shoulders of 12 men. But our king, Jesus, rides in on a donkey, a donkey. Come on, give us something that makes a statement. You know, I was thinking this week about all of the powerful people in the world, specifically men and women of God. And if they had the choice as to what their transportation would be on the day that they were to be revealed to the world, would they have chosen a donkey? I was grieved in my heart when I answered it myself. But Jesus was, in fact, making a very, very powerful statement. He was making a powerful statement with his choice of transportation on this day. The triumphant entry. First, and most notably, this choice was the fulfillment of a 500-year-old prophetic word. The prophet Zechariah. And Zechariah... 9, verse 9, declared by the power of the Holy Spirit, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a, a donkey? A donkey. Secondly, Jesus was showing these people that the culture of the kingdom that he was building would be like no other kingdom that the earth had ever seen or experienced, beginning with the king. The humility of Jesus was on full display as he rode upon the back of a donkey that day. It was symbolic rejection 
of the popular expectation that he would be a conquering king, conquering military king, excuse me. And instead, he presented himself as a peaceful servant king. Now, the day for him to become a conquering military king is coming. I'm telling you, it's coming. But not in this moment. In this moment, our humble king was coming to show them that the way of this kingdom would start with being a servant. Donkeys were the transportation of the common man. What was Jesus telling us? He was telling us and he was declaring that he wouldn't just be a king for the elite among us. He will be a king for our all people. This is our homo king riding in on a donkey. But you know, it wasn't just a king that was riding in on a donkey that day. You see, whenever the Jewish families who were coming into Jerusalem for the Passover were coming, they were required to bring a lamb, which was to be offered as a sacrifice. Jewish historian Josephus wrote that one year, 256,000 lambs were sacrificed during a Passover celebration. Little did the people present at Jesus' triumphal entry know that they weren't just welcoming a king. They were welcoming a lamb. They were welcoming the lamb who would once and for all shed his blood for the sins of all mankind. This is our humble king. Let's stand. That's where we end today. But really, it's not an end. It's a beginning. It's a beginning as we begin to reflect upon the work of Christ this week. I encourage you all this week just to, if you can, just to reserve a little bit more time for the Lord. Reserve a little bit more time for him this week. Maybe you got to get, get up a little bit early or stay up a little bit late. But reserve time just to think about what he did in this last week of his life. Go read about it. Go read about the great tension that existed as, as everything was rising to the climax of his death. And then do this. Meet us next week on Good Friday. Meet us on Good Friday as we together as a community contemplate the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then on Saturday, as we wait together in expectation, eating some hot dogs, listening to some good music for Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection of our King. Father, we just thank you for the gift of your Son. Lord, thank you. Humble King, my humble King, thank you for the price you paid. Open my eyes to see the glory of Holy Week. Open my eyes to see the glory of crucifixion and burial and resurrection. Open our eyes this week, we ask. In Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. 
This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.